Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. You throw up in your Bibles. In, uh, there's some Bibles in front of you, or you can get your phone out. Does someone want to read for me? Someone open? Surely, there'll be someone. Yeah, Rich. Yeah, I'm not reading that without my glasses. <laughs> yeah. Off the screen? Okay. <laughs> One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed, but some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus... demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from the heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts, so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fights entirely against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards against his palace, his possessions are safe, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Thank you. Round of applause. Round of applause. That's a very um, depressing way to leave a Bible verse, isn't it? Um, So if you're taking notes this morning, my talk is titled, How to Cast Out a Demon. How to Cast Out a Demon. Hey, we, um, when we launched our church, March 2019, we started with a series on Sabbath, and then we launched into a series on the book of Luke. And um, we've been doing that for the last three years. And at this pace, there's, there's 24 chapters in Luke, I think. I think we'll be finished by 2028. So um, look forward to that. That's going to be very good. Um, but the whole, idea, the whole idea is that we would continually come back and be anchored in the gospel story, that we would go off and do different topical things and explore different things, but every now and then come back and immerse ourselves in the ways, the words, the works of Jesus to preach through verse by verse and just to be able to come back and anchor ourselves again in the gospel of Luke. So um, just to recap, there are a few key themes happening all through the book of Luke. The first big theme is the one of like the upside-down kingdom, 
where Jesus comes and the least and the last and the lost are all welcome. He's like subverting the way that the Jewish system worked, subverting the way that power structures worked. He's coming in, bringing an upside down kingdom, or if you like, a right way up kingdom. The other key thing that we see all through the book of Luke is that things happen around meals, that uh, scholars say that Jesus eats his way through the gospel of Luke because all the sort of interactions are like on the way to a meal, on the way from a meal, he's at a dinner party, he's telling stories over a meal, or he's talking about meals because Jesus loves uh, doing ministry around the table. And the other thing that we see is in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gets up, he had just been baptized, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, he comes to church, to synagogue, and he's on the Bible reading that that morning, and he reads out Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to do four things, bring good news to the poor, release the captives, give the blind sight, and declare the time of God's favor. So then from Luke chapter 4 onward, what we have is all these little um, stories and things that are happening where Jesus is is performing those things. He's either bringing good news, he's releasing captives, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. He's um, healing people, giving the blind sight, or he's declaring favor to people who don't normally have the favor of God. So that's kind of where we find ourselves up in Luke chapter 11. So this story of Jesus exercising a demon, casting out a demon, and then talking about that, is part of his role description is to, to bring freedom to the captives, to, to, to bring release to those who are oppressed. So we're just going to go through verse by verse, if that's all right. Good? All right, verse 14. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone the man began to speak. So that's probably where we should stop to start with because we don't really get our heads around the, denom- the, the, the demonic, I almost said denomination, which is, yeah, the demonic very well. Um, in the West, we just, we just don't have a category for this because we're so scientific, we're so imperial. Uh, we want to, like, what we see in front of us is all we can see. But for most cultures throughout human history, they have had a very uh, definite understanding of the spiritual, that what we see is not all that there is. We just, just our concept of the spiritual is so anemic. Like the best we have is like when people talk about the universe or charge their crystals, right? Um, and that's like, that's like the, the best language we can give to the spiritual in our culture. But we are missing so much, I think. There's that great quote from um, the movie, The Usual Suspects, that says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. And I don't know about you, but like, this, is, this is a confronting thing to me, like, to understand that there is demonic at play, the devil is a real thing, there is a spiritual world around us. And Jesus' worldview, we can see, like, is very different to ours, like in our culture, in our normal conversations. It's just, he's just got a completely different paradigm to what we have. Um, but you know that phrase, like, we all have our demons? We've all got our demons to face? I reckon that's a really good, true f- phrase. Like, the way that people use that is that, like, we've all got stuff that is undealt with. We've all got stuff in our, in our lives that isn't right. And I reckon that is a really, actually, uh, a good way to think about the demonic in our life. Um, In in the biblical story, the demonic 
is often connected to the physical. So in, in this instance, Jesus cast out a demon from a guy who couldn't speak, and the way that we knew the demon was gone because the guy could speak, right? And so we see the, like, the interplay, the interconnection of the spiritual and the physical all through the biblical story. Um, and so it's important, though, to realize that the Bible is not saying that every sickness or every mental health issue or whatever is a demon, because um, we can go that way and over-spiritualize things and just think everything that's going wrong in my life is because there's a demon after me. There's a quote I love by a guy called John Thompson who wrote a book called Deliverance, which is a really good book if you're interested in any of this stuff. He says, there is not a devil hiding under every bush. He said, but there might be one hiding under every third bush. <laughs> and the truth is there is a spiritual world. We, we need to not over-spiritualize anything, but we need to um, not get to the point where we just think everything is physical. But it is very clear to me that some things happen just because we make bad decisions, or some things happen because our body failed us, or we got a virus, or we have a chemical imbalance in our brain. And so just hear that very, very strongly from me that not everything is the demonic. Um, one, one way to think about the demonic, I think, in our world is just undealt with stuff. Undealt with trauma, undealt with um, hurt or pain, the stuff in us that needs casting out, the stuff in us that needs healing and prayer and community and relationship and practice and spiritual encounter. C.S. Lewis said this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We live in a spiritual world as much as our culture doesn't want to agree with that. Verse 15 and 16. So, so Jesus casts out a demon and then we have three responses. At the end of 14, it says the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. So there's three responses that we have to, to Jesus casting out a demon here. The first one is amazement. There's like the crowds are amazed. The second, think Jesus is evil because like they think in some uh, devil must be in, inside Jesus and he's casting out other devils. The third group is like the scientific, scientific people amongst us who want uh, to demand a miraculous sign, like prove what you're doing, like, like let's sh show me what you're doing. I don't know if you ever find yourself in those things. I think I more often find myself in the third than any others. Um, I, I had to fight this in my own life, I think. For a long time, when I was reading stories like this in Scripture, I often thought it was just kind of ancient speak for someone's sick or someone's got a mental illness or someone's got epilepsy or whatever it is. It's just like ancient speak for Jesus bringing healing to people. Um, but I don't think that's what the biblical story is trying to tell us. I think the Bible is trying to tell us that this is a real thing that we must face. And what we see all through the book of Acts as the church is kind of expanding out, that every time the Christians go to a new place, there's like this new territory claim, there is a counter-reaction to the demonic um, to them every single time through the book of Acts. So verse 17 
So Jesus replying to those people, he said he knew their thoughts. He said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so, be, so they will condemn you for what you have said. So Jesus is basically wiping out that middle group, the three, the three reactions to Jesus, amazement, thinking he's evil, or the scientific approach. He's saying, it doesn't make sense that I'm evil, because if I am Satan, why would I cast out Satan, right? He's like, you're dumb. <laughs> Verse 20. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. What Jesus is saying that is, if, if I'm casting out Satan, then I must be stronger than Satan. The kingdom of God has arrived among you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is far more powerful than the kingdom of the enemy. Verse 23. This is an interesting phrase. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. That kind of makes sense. Until you read like two chapters earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus says the exact opposite thing. So what's happening in Luke chapter 9 is there's a guy going around casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the disciples are like, who are you, for one? Like, you don't, you don't go here, you're not part of our crew. And they come up to Jesus and say, there's this dude going around casting out demons in your name. Like, what should we do about it? Like, that's not cool. And Jesus says this, he says, anyone who is not against me is for me. But then two chapters later, here in Luke chapter 11, he says, anyone who is against me, what does he say? Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. So he says the exact opposite thing. What's going on here? Well, in Luke chapter 9, he's talking about a person. There's a guy going around casting out demons. In Luke chapter 11, he's talking about a power, the spirit. And so this is a really important distinction, that people are not our enemy, that there are other forces at work. Paul puts it like this, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Our wrestle is not against humans. It is against powers and principalities. John Mark Comer has this great quote. He says, um, if we de deny the existence of the demonic, then we will tend to demonize people. I think this is what Jesus is trying to get at here, that People are never the enemy, but there are spirits and powers at work that are. If we deny the existence of the demonic at work, of the spiritual realm, then we will tend to demonize people that are different to us, tend to demonize people that we disagree with. But that's not what our wrestle is against. Our wrestle isn't against people, the culture out there, whatever it is. Our wrestle is against powers and principalities, evil at work in our world. So, um, oh, I'm getting a call. Hello, Tim. The church fathers would say that there are 
So church fathers are like the people that we point to in the third and fourth century who really did a lot of work in theology and shaping how we view God today. They sort of were a, a few generations on from Jesus' followers, and now we're trying to wrestle with what does this look like in our context? How, what, what does this mean now? How do we operate? How do we build churches? How do we think about God? All the stuff around the Trinity was formed by them. But they would say there are three enemies to the human soul. Three enemies. Not one of them is people. Three enemies to the human soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, what they mean by the world is not like people, but the structures and systems that take on a a sense of evil. So, I, I think, you know, you could say consumerism is of the world, or uh, racism is of the world. You even look back to kind of Nazi Germany, right? And there's no denying that these, this beautiful, intelligent country of Germany, there's like something evil that overtook Nazi Germany and just some of the most horrific stuff. There's like an evil at play. There are systems at work in our world that are actually demonic. They're evil. The world is the enemy. The flesh so he's talking about our, our person, not our body, but the, you know, the, the, the ways in which I'm tempted to get my own way, the ways in which I um, want to manipulate things so that I am better off and someone else is worse off, the ways that I sin or the ways that I'm disintegrated, right? So the world, the structures, the systems, the flesh, my own sinful nature, and the devil, that there is a real person, a real force called the devil and the demonic. And he uses those other two things, the flesh and the world, to get at his ends. Verse 24 to 26, and this is where we'll end. Jesus tells a little story here. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirit buddies, more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. What the heck does that mean? What is Jesus getting at here? So few things we can learn from Jesus' little story, little parable here. He's talking about a house, and the, the whole picture is that Satan is taking care of the house like it's his palace, and then someone stronger comes, i.e. Jesus, casts him out of the house, and then the spirit will go wandering, trying to find a place to rest. It can't find anywhere to rest, so it finds seven other friends and comes back and becomes a squatter in the house again. Jesus is saying, there's a few things we can learn, that demons, the demonic, occupy people and place. They're looking for people and places to rest, to find home in. That's very interesting to start with. In this little parable, the house represents a person. So, like, the, the guy got a demon cast out of him. He begins this conversation about how Satan's gone out of the house, but then he can come back with seven other friends and take over. Um, but the house is a person. Paul calls our, our bodies the temple of the living God. So our houses, our, 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 our persons, our souls, 
Our bodies are temples, homes for the spiritual activity that's going on. That's why so often the spiritual is attached to the physical, right? Because it's all interconnected. We want to like cleanly divide our, you know, our mind and our body, but it just doesn't work like that. We are integrated humans. We are whole people. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. You don't have a body, you are a body. And when those two things get separated, you, you're dead. <laughs> like, the, the, we are meant to be connected. And so we, our, our persons, our souls, our bodies are houses of the spiritual. And so your house can be filled with evil or with good. And your house must be filled with a stronger presence. That's why all through the New Testament, we are uh, commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Be filled with the Spirit. And so maybe in this parable, it seems possible that it's possible for your house to be owned by Jesus, but to be filled by some demonic activity. We see this all through the Bible. So, so Judas is a clear follower of Jesus, right? He's hanging. He's one of the 12 disciples. And yet, uh, after the Lord's Supper, it says that Satan filled him. Peter is challenging Jesus, and he says, no, you don't have to go to the cross to die. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. After Jesus died, after the Pentecost, the early church was forming, and there was a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And everyone in the church, or a lot of people in the church, not everyone, but people were selling their houses and giving it to the church so that um, people could be fed and like there's this new community forming. And Ananias and Sapphira sold their house and they brought the money, but they only brought some of the money. And they brought it to the apostles and the apostles said, Satan has filled you. And then they dropped dead right there, one after the other, which is like an insane story. Uh, It's not about not selling their house to give. It's about lying about their generosity. Um, but what we see is like people that are very committed to the way of Jesus, following Jesus in, in proximity with Jesus, actually can be affected by the, the, the demonic. That that is actually a reality. We see that all through the scriptures. Um, but what this is telling us is that as followers of Jesus, we must have more than just an encounter with the strong man. More than just an encounter with Jesus, we must be filled with his presence. Every corner of our house, every room, that we must continually be filled with the stronger presence, which is that of the Holy Spirit. I think it's possible for us in life to be owned by Jesus, but leave some windows open or leave a a room unattended or unsorted through because it's just too hard, right? We do that all the time. There's stuff in our lives, stuff from our past that we just, it's just hard to deal with, right? But I think the whole point of this story is that the Spirit wants to come in and infect every part of our lives, every room, every past trauma, every undealt with sin, that we must be saturated and filled with the presence of God. In his book, Deliverance, John Thompson, he says there are ways we can open ourselves up to the demonic, ways we can open up ourselves to evil. And he's had lots of experience with this. He's a very normal guy. It's it's well worth a read. He says there's six ways where 
um, what they call it double trauma, like where something happens in the physical and it becomes a foothold, which is like Paul's language in, in Ephesians, a foothold from the, for the enemy. Number one, he says, is unforgiveness. If we hold bitterness towards someone else, even if like it's, it's, it's worthy of being held as bitterness, something that's been done to us, that actually is a foothold for the enemy. And you see that happen all, all in life, right? You all know people who have just like been infected by bitterness and unforgiveness and it begins to seep into every part of their life. The second one, he says, is, is trauma. It's called double trauma, like something happens to your life and the enemy uses that to have an outsized effect on your life and how you operate in the world today, right? Something that happened to you, but it's still being used and twisted and manipulated by the enemy. The third one, he says, is sexual encounter, that they're, because we are, we are, sex is a really deep uh, spiritual thing, that when there is sexual encounter, there is possibility for something to happen there. You know, if you're sleeping around or if something happens between a person, like, and, and to stop that, to break up or, you know, like, it actually affects us in a deep way. The fourth thing is, like, spiritual things, like tarot cards and Freemasonry and Ouija boards. The fifth thing is habitual sin, like consistent sin. The enemy uses that. These are all just ways that the enemy uses things to get a hold of our lives. And the sixth thing is family lines. There are actually generational, generational curses that come. I know it sounds like a weird thing, but like you just see it. Like someone who's had alcohol abuse in their family, right? It's just a thing that needs to be broken. Like we all struggle with stuff. Stuff just gets passed down through generational lines, and that stuff has to be dealt with. This is all just undealt with stuff that the enemy uses in our lives. I think we can get scared away by the spiritual language and demons, and because of Hollywood and the way that's portrayed, like, people aren't, you know, crawling on the walls. At least I hope not. Um, I think the enemy is much more subtle than that. That he uses this stuff to twist us and sever our relationship to the Father and our relationship to people. You might be saying, hold up, like I'm still getting my head around this whole demon thing and that's, that's totally fine. I am too. But something that um, really helped me when it come, came to the demonic is seeing all through church history, seeing how this has always been at play. Um, the church fathers, um, a bunch of people that, like I was saying before, like have really impacted our theology, Tertullian and Origen, Cyprian, Basil, Augustine, all these people who are like seen as, as like very intellectual people who have formed our theology all through the generations, all of them have teaching on casting out demons, which is pretty interesting to me. Um, in the third century and onwards, still today in the Greek Orthodox Church, before you get baptized, it was just assumed that you had demons. And so you would have demons cast out of you before you get baptized. So it was just a normal part of baptism, just because you, they assume that, you know, as you're coming in, there's just stuff going on, there's stuff that needs to be dealt with. Um, and the Greek Orthodox Church still do that today. The great reformers in the 1500s, where the Protestant Reformation comes from, um, John Calvin, Martin Luther, who have, like, really influenced conservative theology. Um, a lot of people would see them as, like, very conservative people. Um, but both of them have accounts of casting out demons, right? So, like, very, like, you know, Pentecostal in that sense. Um, and so I just think that's so interesting. John Wesley, who... Uh, uh, led the Methodist revival in the UK in the 1700s, 1800s. 
um, has writes in his journey of casting, journal of casting out demons. Today, even today, I believe every Catholic diocese in the world has a priest, and their job is exorcism, which is like, I'm the exorcist priest, which is, I think that's kind of cool, but it's also kind of creepy. Um, again, we're not talking Hollywood here. We're not talking the exorcist, the movie. We're talking about real stuff. Real stuff that gets a hold of our lives, the subtle stuff, the grudge you hold, the repeated sin pattern, the undealt with trauma, the generational stuff that hasn't been broken over your life, the distraction, the busyness, the focus on self. All this stuff, like just subtle ways where God want, where the Satan wants to cut you off from your relationship with the Father and your relationship with people. So what do we do? What do we do with a story like that in 2022 in Long Jetty? I think the main takeaway from this little story in Luke chapter 11 is that we need to ensure that our house is filled with the presence of God, that our body and our soul is filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? It's two ways, two really practical ways. Number one is practice. I love that term, practicing Christians, because we're all practicing, like we're all just trying to work this thing out. And there are ancient practices, ancient disciplines that open us up to the Spirit of God at work. I think it's really fascinating that the way that Jesus fought Satan for, for 40 days in the wilderness was through spiritual practice. He went away in silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and scripture, and that's how he fought the devil that one of the best ways to fight Satan in your life is to have a practice of opening your Bible or prayer or being in community or practicing generosity or practicing hospitality. All of these things open us up to the presence of God. The second thing is community. So number one is practice. The second thing is community. What we see all through Scripture is there's no one that ever exercises a demon out of themselves. There's no self-exorcism. It's always done, hey Tim, it's always done in community, in prayer and community. It's actually the community of God and the practice of the way of Jesus that actually helps us to be continually filled with the presence of God and deal with the undealt with stuff, cast out the demonic in our life, cast out the stuff that would come in between my relationship with God and my relationship with people. Cool? That's good. Just casting out demons and that. James K.A. Smith, he's a philosopher. He says that the West has been disenchanted, that we've, we've sucked the meaning out of life and things. But the biblical narrative and biblical story and biblical worldview is one that is rich and enmeshed with the spiritual world that there is a lot more going on than what we can see. I don't know where you sit with that or, you know, how you get your head around that. But this is very much a part of Jesus' worldview, the worldview of the early church, the worldview of church tradition all through generation in different continents, in different places, in different theological bents, that we are in a spiritual battle, a battle for our own souls that the enemy would want to come and steal your relationship with God and your relationship with others.
And so maybe this morning has brought something up for you, um, and feel free to come and speak with me or speak to someone afterwards and, and, and get some prayer and some community around that. Um, but I think the main takeaway for this morning is we need to continually open ourselves up, all of us, all of ourselves, even that little locked room that you don't want to go in, you know, because it's too painful or too scary. You're scared that what you might find, the best thing we can do is continually bring stuff out in safe place, in therapy, in community, around trusted people, um, uh, with the scriptures open, and in prayer, and silence and solitude, and the great practices that help us open up to the Spirit. Is that cool?